Hi, I'm Justine Elliott, creator and host of What The Am I Doing and Other Questions, a podcast for therapists. Join me and special guests as we chat about the ins and outs of therapy practice. Remember to follow us on Instagram at What The Am I Doing Podcast and subscribe to get notified of all of our future episodes. Welcome everyone to episode four of What The Am I Doing and Other Questions. I'm your host, Justine Elliott. Today, I am excited to bring back a special guest who is a dear friend of mine and a specialist in the world of grief. Um, and that is Ashley Melke. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Justine. I'm so excited you're back for another episode. Um, and if you missed Ashley, she was in our episode three talking about private practice, but I've brought her back for this episode to get into grief, um, and, and talk about some helpful tips for therapists about grief. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy talking about this area of practice because it is so near and dear to my heart. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited for our listeners to listen to you and, and just hear from, you know, your wealth of knowledge about this. Um, so if you missed, um, last episode, Ashley is a registered psychologist. She is the owner and CEO of the grief and trauma healing center. She's also a advanced grief recovery specialist and an international trainer for the grief recovery method. Um, so Ash has a lot of knowledge and, you know, awareness of, you know, grief, um, both from, you know, a professional lens, but, you know, we're going to get into a bit of, you know, your personal story. And, you know, I think you bring a lot of that into your work with grief and, and how that kind of propels you into, into this field. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to listen last episode, we had Ashley talk about what, you know, why she got into psychology as a field, but I'm curious for this episode, you know, what brought you into grief work and, and what brought you into having an interest in, in grief therapy, Ashley? So when I was a second year graduate student Mm -hmm. studying to be a psychologist, knowing that that's really what I wanted to pursue My dad relapsed into alcohol and cocaine addiction and died by suicide. So that was, I mean, really the most devastating, life-changing experience that I had Mm -hmm. been through. Mm -hmm. And I realized very quickly following his death, Mm -hmm. how ill-equipped I was to deal with my grief. Mm -hmm. I went to the people around me, which was my clinical supervisor and some other therapists around me. I just started my clinical training literally two months before he died. And I thought, okay, I'm in the right field. There's these people are going to know how to support me. And so I went to them seeking support and they gave me all of this advice. Mm -hmm. Like you just have to keep busy. You have to be strong. This is going to make you a better therapist. And so I took this advice, thinking that this was how I was supposed to deal with my grief and really threw myself into school and work and essentially workaholism sort of became the way that I survived through that time. Right. So a couple of years pass and I'm now a psychologist Mm -hmm. 
hadn't really dealt with the grief of my dad's death. And then grieving people started to come to work with me like very organically. And I mentioned this in our last podcast as well. And I really came alive in this work. And Mm -hmm. what really uh, stood out to me was the fact that these people knew the pain Mm. that I felt that sense of loneliness and isolation and fear and shame. And this idea that we don't have any tools to deal with our grief. So I really enjoyed sitting with them and listening to their stories, but I didn't have any tools to help them. Mm. So I went on a journey to see what was out there. Mm. I came across the grief recovery method program, Mm. fell in love with their philosophy, read all their eBooks and signed up for their training. So when I went through that certification training in 2013, which was almost three years to the date of my dad's death, um, it was the most transformative experience for me. And going through that training and completing that program really was my invitation to wanting to serve grieving people. Mm, Yeah, yeah. You know, working with you, I've heard you share your personal story. And I, I think it's such a, you know, interesting way to get into a field, right? Especially as therapists, I think a lot of times we don't, there's a weird, like, I don't want to blend personal with work or, you know, there's, there's kind of a feeling out there sometimes that, you know, we don't bring our personal lives into that, but, you know, having gone through the experience of losing your dad and then doing your own work, you know, going into finding this program um, and then bringing it to, you know, your clients and the rest of the community. Um, yeah, it's just incredible. And, and I know that's, you know, obviously what you're so passionate about is especially grief recovery, but grief in general is such an area that, uh, yeah, lights you up and lights me up too, because it's, uh, yeah, you can't get around it. Right. Well, and the, the biggest inspiration for me and why I wanted to bring this to the community is there is so much misinformation Mm. about grief there's so many myths about grief Mm. that really it's it's it goes back to this larger cultural narrative that tells us that we have to move on very quickly that we shouldn't feel our sad feelings that we need to intellectualize our grief and I tried that Mm. I mean I, I took the advice everybody gave me and it was not emotionally helpful So I just felt like when I was given this permission in this safe space to complete what was unfinished with my dad, to Mm -hmm. feel my feelings, to talk about my story and my loss without fear of judgment, Mm -hmm. I was like, I need to share this gift with others. If this is what benefited me, this is what other grieving people also need. And that has what has inspired me um, Mm -hmm. since, since day one, implementing this program. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and why would, you know, as therapists who are, are listening to this podcast, you know, grief is, is an area that like, you know, we've shared, you know, you specialize in, I specialize in, but why do you think, you know, the larger world of therapists should, you know, you know, think of grief as important or, or need to learn about grief, you know, as, as therapists, why, why would that be important that they know about it? Loss is inevitable. It is, and it happens to everyone. Mm. And in my, my humble experience as a psychologist practicing for almost a decade now, 
I have found that loss underlies so many of the presenting issues that our clients bring in to mm -hmm. session. Mm -hmm. And so if we dig into what has happened mm -hmm. in their life, mm -hmm. we will often find that there's been a loss or a major change or transition mm -hmm. that underlies many of the sort of presenting symptoms that they have today. And if we can get to the root of healing those loss experiences, we can often heal um, a lot of those, I guess, present moment symptoms that they're really struggling with. It's, I mean, loss is everywhere. And it's like, once you put on your grief glasses, I feel like you can't unsee it. It's like, you just see it everywhere. I don't know if that's your experience, Justine. Yes. For me. Yeah. 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 No, I, I share that. You know, I, I think once I, I learned about grief, I did grief recovery, but even, you know, with some of the other trainings that I've done on grief is, you know, when, when a client walks in, you can like, you pull it out, right. You can like, you can sense it. You can, you can, you know, realize it. And I find for clients, what's so amazing is when you frame it from an understanding of, of grief and loss, a lot of times that makes a lot more sense for why, you know, why do I feel this way? You know, why have I struggled for this long? You know, why can't I even like, I hear all the time, why can't I get over it? Um, you know? And so I find as like a therapist coming from like a grief informed, or I love that analogy of like grief glasses, you know, lens is I actually feel like I have more tools or, or I'm able, you know, better able to help a client when I understand grief, because I think you're right. It's inevitable and it happens to everyone, right? There, there isn't a client who probably hasn't gone through a loss or, or something significant like that. Exactly. And how normalizing and validating for our clients when we can associate their experience with the loss that's happened. Right. I think it's, it's such a relief for many people that we're able to make that connection. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like this light bulb moment for so many clients say, oh my gosh, you're right. After that event happened, then mm -hmm. all of these other things transpired in my life. And then the other thing about grief, I think is important to note is it's cumulative and it's mm -hmm. cumulatively negative. So mm -hmm. our experiences don't happen in a vacuum, right? They, they, they accumulate over time. And that cumulative effect starts to weigh on us emotionally, physically, spiritually, cognitively, you know, in every single way. So it's one of those aspects of life. We just cannot deny, we cannot ignore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, a story just came to mind. I just wanted to share it briefly that there was a client that I had seen who struggled with gambling addiction. Mm. And so this was the presenting issue that, that they had attempted to deal with, with previous therapists. Mm. And so the, you know, generally they would talk about addiction and talk about, okay, how do we, uh, how do we minimize this behavior? What, what plan can we have in place? And so I asked two, uh, one question, two words to find out, okay, so there's some gambling issues here. And I said, what happened? Mm. What happened to you? Wow. And they said, and they had not, never made this connection in over 40 years. Mm. When I was a little boy, I was sexually abused. Mm. And the first time I went to a casino, when I was 18 years old mm. was the first time that I felt an escape from that pain. Wow. It was that it's like, yeah. okay, so it doesn't, 
it doesn't minimize the issue, right? right. Like the gambling issue, but yeah. at least it was an invitation to go back and do some healing work around that loss of trust and loss of safety and loss of childhood and all of that stuff that this little boy was trying to deal with yeah. for so many years. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's such an incredible story. And I, and I think just, you know, such a prime example of why, you know, I, I almost see now there's a lot around like being trauma informed and, and, you know, understanding trauma and understanding symptoms of trauma, you know, from clients. But I think there's a need for being grief informed because I think trauma is part of it, but there's so much loss in trauma, but also in, you know, other experiences, um, that yeah, can transform, you know, what happens for a client and, and how successful therapy is for them. And it's like, you are not the problem, right? You are not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. Like all of us, we've been through loss and this is our way of attempting to truly help ourselves through the pain. And often, unfortunately, it comes out in some maybe unhealthy behaviors, but it's really all an attempt at loving ourselves through the pain. And, you know, that's the lens through which I see my clients on their journeys, regardless of what their story is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it truly transforms how you see clients, how you see therapy, how you see progress. Um, because it's, it, it shifts away from like, let's just stop a behavior or stop you feeling bad or, you know, shut those things down. And it totally flips that on its head, um, to understanding it, feeling emotions, you know, how do we actually process through that rather than just, yeah, get rid of it, you know, and make them look good. Right. You know, it's away from that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know, obviously me and you are bought into the, the, the grief Kool-Aid we are, uh, (laughs) we have bought into, uh, to this. Um, but you know, I know there's going to be therapists listening or, or therapists out there who just, you know, maybe understand why it would be important to be grief informed and, and understand why it would be important to know about grief. But, you know, I think there are often barriers to people, uh, especially for therapists feeling comfortable with the subject and, and really, you know, addressing that. So what do you think is, is challenging for therapists or, or what are some of the barriers that therapists face, you know, in terms of, of having a grief informed lens or just bringing or, or being aware or working with, with grief itself? I think one of the, the greatest challenges we face sitting with our grieving clients is letting go of that need to fix mm-hmm. and have an immediate solution and a treatment plan mm-hmm. to heal someone's pain. Right. The thing about sitting with grief is we're not there to fix it. We're there to tend to it and nurture it mm-hmm. and create a space for them to feel heard and witnessed in their story and in their pain. And that can be really uncomfortable because we're taught that, you know, we're the experts. We have all the answers. We have all the tools. We see them in such discomfort Mm. and often in just raw, visceral pain. Mm. We just want to make it better for them. Right. And the thing about grief is we can't fix it. Right. Grief isn't meant to be fixed. It's meant to be heard. So learning how to tolerate our own experience in the room, 
listening to somebody's sad, horrific story without having a quick fix. Yeah. 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 And I, and I'm sure you've had sessions. I know I've had sessions where it is hard being a therapist because I think, and, and I've had sometimes clients who come in who are looking for like, please help me like take this pain away. And, and that I find can be so challenging because it's like, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm a helper. I'm, you know, really emp- empathetic for you. And, you know, I, I want things to get better, but yeah, grief is not a quick fix. It does not need to be fixed. Right. Well, exactly. And one thing that I've learned on my journey sitting with grief for so many years is that it often brings up our own pain mm-hmm. and it triggers maybe losses that are maybe unresolved in our life as well. And if we are, if we are taught, because culturally we are taught to really bury our feelings and avoid pain and distract and intellectualize, mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a need in that moment to want to do the same for right. our client is, okay, this is really hard. It's uncomfortable. How do we just push this away? How can we talk our way through it? And instead of two hearts talking, which is really where the grief healing journey begins, is two heads talking. How can I, how can we intellectualize this and compartmentalize it and sort of fix it um, and deal with it really neatly, as opposed to really just embracing the complexity and, and ugliness and pain and yuckiness of what grief really is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's not pretty. Right. And it's not, it's not easy to just be like, Oh, here's a strategy. You know, now it's gone. Right. Exactly. It's unpredictable. It's messy. It's complex. And there's nothing we can do. Right. To yeah. make it better. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, and I, and I, you know, I know you work with adults, I work with adults, but I also work with children and I know that comes in so strong when I work with kids, because I see some littles, like some, some little ones and, you know, there's some, some really sad stories and losses out there for these children. And, you know, I find that can be also really hard. And, you know, I want to recognize that for any of our child therapists out there that, Grief work is difficult with any age, um, but sometimes with kids, there's, I don't know if it's a maternal instinct or, you know, something, something kicks in where you're like, you have a boo-boo, let me fix it. And, and I find that comes out really strong, you know, especially with kids who, you know, sometimes we are emotional in our sessions and, and there is no way to take that pain away from that child. Um, or just their, their experience, right? Sometimes those stories are devastating. Oh, I mean, you hear the most horrific stories, things that you don't actually think happen to people happen. Yeah. And so being able to sit with that, mm-hmm. tolerate the feelings that come up, mm-hmm. um, and then to be able to process that on your own right. is like so key as well. Like having those really... Um, open consultations and having people you can debrief with is such an important part of this work because you are going to hear horrible stories of loss and pain and you want nothing more but to make them feel better because like you said we're helpers we care about people we don't like to see people in pain yeah totally yeah 
But I want to say the thing that feels like such a privilege, Justine, in this work Mm -hmm. that we do is oftentimes we are the only one that they feel safe with really Mm -hmm. opening up. Mm-hmm. And, and I know if I can be a safe place for them, where they don't feel alone, where they feel heard, where they even feel hope mm. that, you know, maybe things will be okay. Right. Maybe I will find meaning through all of this. That is what has inspired me in this work. Mm. That's what has kept me going is like, I can be that beacon of light and hope and safety for them. Right. I mean, what more can you ask for? Yeah. 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 Well, and one important thing to keep in mind, I think, you know, in this work, because it gets dark, right. Um, and, and that, you know, if you can hold space for someone who desperately needs to share their story and feel heard and understood and, and also be that, um, you know, that piece of hope for them. Right. Um, cause for a lot of these people, they are not, there is no hope right. Or their, their life is devoid of that. And, um, you know, for someone to come in and experience that is, is a privilege and it's incredible. Such a privilege. And like just acknowledging when a client has a loss that they've reached out to you, they've made a phone call, they've booked an appointment, they've showed up to the session. Like that is something to be acknowledged and celebrated. Mm. And it's those small things when we work with grief that might seem insignificant, mm-hmm. but they are significant. And sometimes that's all it is. It's like, that is the win. They show up every week to sit with you. Yeah. yeah. That's, that is the work that you do with a grieving person. Yeah. 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 Which I think can be so different compared to maybe some other types of presenting symptoms or, or issues we face or even styles of working right? Is that, oh, I need to see someone change week to week. And sometimes that's, that is not the progress with grief. Right? Yes. Like it can take every griever is unique and individual. Mm. This can be months. This can be years. Everybody is different. And certainly there are tools that yeah. we can integrate actions that they can take certainly, mm-hmm. but in terms of that healing journey, it is so unique. And we have to let go of those expectations mm. that in, in six weeks or 12 weeks or 12 months, everything's going to be better. Yeah. And as soon as we give ourselves permission to let that go, let that go for our clients, we're just free to be present in the Mm -hmm. moment with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It frees you up, right. From, from holding on to all of that and even a bit of that anxiety or, or, um, you know, nervousness we might have as a therapist to, to fix or to resolve or to make things better is, you know, if you come from a lens of being grief informed, or you come from understanding grief, you know, that that's not the goal. That's not the purpose of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what would be some important things for therapists to remember when they're working with grieving clients? You know, what are some things that, you know, therapists should be knowledgeable of, or, or just kind of hold in their mind when, when they have a client with grief? One of my favorite analogies that I learned through the grief recovery method is to be a heart with ears. Mm -hmm. It's so simple yet so profound Mm. that when we sit with a grieving client, we are a heart with ears. We really are helping them to move from their heads to their hearts, Mm. connecting to the emotional impact of their loss, to their lost story. Mm. And that, and I think it's also about holding space. 
If mm. I'm a heart with ears, I'm not here to fix. I'm not here to analyze or intellectualize. I just want to be this safe space, this anchor for them right. to speak their truth, mm. tell mm. their story. So that would be my number one is show up mm -hmm. like a heart with ears. Another thing is really just to be your authentic self. Mm. Be authentic, be human. Mm. Grieving people are so vulnerable mm. and they are so raw and they're looking for any indication that this is not a safe space because mm. they've heard it a million times outside of the room. All of the intellectual comments, all of the advice giving, all of the ways to minimize feelings. And so we just want to be human mm. and listen and normalize and validate and tend to that experience. Mm. A few other things, um, like for me, key, that has been key, as you mentioned, and also key to the grief recovery method uh, training is a willingness to self-disclose, a willingness mm. to talk about even how loss has impacted your life in a really thoughtful and intentional way. Mm. Grieving people, often feel very isolated and alone in their grief. And so if we can help increase participation and safety mm -hmm. by saying, you know, I don't know what it's like for you to go through your loss, but I know what it was like for me when my dad died. Mm -hmm. I know how isolated and afraid and alone and shameful I felt. What has it been like for you? Mm -hmm. Having those intentional disclosures can be so, um, so I don't know, permission giving, hope giving yeah. for clients as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that makes me think of, you know, uh, Kristen Neff, who does a lot of work on self-compassion and, and she has kind of identified, you know, three aspects to self-compassion and that's, you know, kindness, mindfulness, and then there's a need for that common humanity. And I, I think, especially in, in grief work, you know, having someone else or, or someone who knows the experience of grief and loss, which like you said, is unique and different for everyone, but having gone through that allows us to feel maybe more comfortable to share or that we're not alone. And that this is an experience that everyone faces, right? This isn't a, you know, experience that you are the only person on earth to ever gone through, right? Exactly. That is what is so special about this work is exactly that common humanity, that shared thread of loss and suffering that every person can identify with. Yeah. And I, like how I lead as a psychologist, when, which may not be popular, is mm -hmm. that I lead as a human being first. Right. And I think that's why my clients trust me. Mm. And that's why I've built such great rapport with grieving clients who are taking those very scary steps forward on their journey knowing that there's someone in the room who really does care about them and who's gone through it as well. Yeah. And we can do that while also being professional mm. and having appropriate boundaries. Mm. We can still show up and be a human being for our clients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes that's a challenge, right? Is, is stepping away from being a very clinical, maybe cold feeling professional because you're, I think you're right. You know, when people come in with grief, I mean, they are raw. Like I, I kind of joke with my clients. I call it being like raw tuna. Like you're kind of <laughs> <laughs> so 
open and you are there. You know, I don't even know how many people I'll sit down with and we don't even get to anything and they're, te- they're, te- they're crying. Yeah. Right. Yes. And if I come at them with this clinical cold lens, you know, I'm not helping them in any, you know, sort of way, even to release that emotion. Right. I have to come as a, a genuine human being. Right. Um, Cause we sense that. I mean, you know, you can sense when people are being genuine, you can sense when someone's coming at you with, with care and compassion um, instead of kind of a, you know, a, a kind of trying to fix or, or clinical kind of lens. Right. Exactly. Lead with authenticity, mm. lead with your heart. Mm-hmm. That is what, that's what they need. They need to know that they're really seen. And like you said, that genuineness is, is so important. Um, and I think this all goes back to what I mentioned earlier, Justine, the importance of doing our own work, the importance of when we notice that there's losses in our life that maybe we haven't dealt with, mm-hmm. that we have a willingness to go back and do some healing work around those losses so that we have more capacity to help our clients. Because I can only take someone as far in their journey as I've gone on my own journey. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. I'm not willing to go there for me, how can I help you go there for you? Right. Yeah. 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 So that has been key for me too, like Mm -hmm. integrating grief recovery method into my lifestyle Mm -hmm. as like an emotional tool Mm -hmm. has been key for me. And I know for a lot of others who, who practice this method as well is like continually doing our emotional recovery and, uh, so that we can be the best for other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think it speaks to the, the reality of being a therapist. You know, you don't become a therapist and nothing ever bad happens to you ever again. Right? Like you continuously live life and you have a life outside of work and you are constantly needing support, right? Or, or you know, help with processing your own losses, right? Um, and I think it speaks too often that, you know, that counter transference that can happen. You know, if we've heard a million times from our own family that, you know, when we go through a loss, we should just uh, be strong for other people, you know, that's going to be a tendency we bring into our client work, right? Exactly. Exactly. So being really understanding and getting familiar with what, what are those myths and misinformation? What is it about what we've been taught in our culture about how to deal with grief so we can be aware of how that shows up? in mm. ourselves in the room and even in the words that our clients use because they end up reiterating a lot of things that they've heard and even asking us mm. what is the quick fix how can i how can i not feel the pain of this loss and mm. so a lot of the work we do end up it kind of feels counterintuitive okay. because it's so different than what our society tells us to do yeah 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 okay and you know, what are some, I'm curious, you know, about some techniques or practical tips for people who are working with grievers. And I kind of figure, you know, me and you will kind of go back and forth about this because we both work with, with people who are, are experiencing grief. So what are some maybe techniques or, or tips that you keep in mind when you're sitting with someone who is, who is grieving? So some of the things I already mentioned, a lot of normalizing and validating, not fixing, Mm-hmm. not communicating myths and misinformation, right. being that heart with yours, helping them connect to the feelings around their loss, 
um, that's like one piece of it. And a lot of that philosophy comes from the grief recovery method program. Mm. So that is one thing I would encourage anyone to go and order the grief recovery handbook by John James and Russell Friedman, yeah. read the book, sign up for the certification training. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really um, a remarkable program as kind of creating that foundation around what it means to be grief informed. Yeah. And then I think the other part, Justine, which you could speak a lot to is around uh, really establishing safety and stabilization and coping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for clients, which is like, I'd say grief and trauma informed, but really helping them to regulate emotions and how to really help themselves in those moments where they feel just so overwhelmed and overtaken by their feelings. Yeah. 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 I almost think of grief work is, is I find very similar to trauma work. And if you, you know, align with, with Judith Herman's, you know, three phase model of, of trauma therapy, you know, that first phase is safety and stabilization. And, and I think, you know, when I think about trauma, I mean, you're often trying to process or, you know, heal a very painful thing. And that is grief, right? You know, like when you are processing grief, it is painful. And to think about it is, is, is hurtful and, and um, can be harmful if, if you don't create enough of a safe net or a safety net underneath that person um, to support them right with that absolutely uh, like just having even just very simple yet effective tools for someone to walk away with in those moments when you're not there when they don't have someone to support them or listen to them like mm-hmm. it's amazing how even the exercise of the calm place mm-hmm. or the safe place mm-hmm. can be so helpful right. for someone outside of the room when they're like i just need to move away from this feeling. I need to create some safety in my body and uh, how just one simple tool can be really profound on their journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's amazing how much those things. And I, and I remember realizing this, you know, in my practicum was sometimes they seem simple for us as therapists. Like we're like, Oh, it's deep breathing or, you know, whatever. But for some people, they have never experienced that. They have never walked through that exercise or that never used that technique. And that can be absolutely profound in supporting them to feel maybe more safe or cope with that really overwhelming feeling that's coming up. Um, you know, it can be just, you know, such a key piece in, in supporting someone with grief. Yeah. 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 You know, and I'm thinking what you said earlier about, you know, this piece around common humanity and and self-disclosure. And I think that can be in itself such an important technique to use um, just for normalizing, right. And, and recognizing that, yeah, you know, maybe you're like screaming in your car, right. I remember joking with one of my clients, like, you know, okay, you're screaming and crying in your car. Great. I did that too, actually, you know, when this happened to me, right. And I find it so funny because I'll have sometimes clients say to me like, oh, okay, and it's okay because my therapist does it, right? It's like this. <laughs> Justine does it. So I'm not crazy. You know, Justine doesn't seem crazy. She's actually a therapist. So <laughs> this, okay, I'm good, right? Yes, absolutely. It's so permission giving because I think oftentimes they come into the space. They only see one part of us. They see this very professional put together part of us. Um, they see our credentials that can be very intimidating. And so 
it's funny, but, but there is often this idea that we are perfect, right? Or that everything is perfect. And I've had clients say that to me and it's like, oh my gosh, if you only knew how imperfect I really am, (laughs) um, and how imperfect my life is and has been, but sharing a story that they can relate to and they can see themselves in is just, it's so permission giving and it gives them that courage Mm. to take that step forward. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, Ashley was there too. Mm-hmm. Ashley went through this program, yeah. right? Yeah. She understands on some level, the fear, mm-hmm. the pain, the discomfort of this journey. And that's why at the grief and trauma healing center leading with our stories, mm-hmm. is such an important part of who we are. And I mean, even right on the website, there's our story of how this all came to be okay. because we want to invite that authenticity and that truth and that vulnerability in with our clients. And people don't often call us to say, Oh, I picked Justine because of her, her alma mater. Cause she got right. honors and her master's degree. That's why I want to work with her. <laughs> yeah. They say, I really connected to her story. There's something about, you know, that smile on her, in her photo and mm. the loss of um, her pet mm. that, right. Or whatever loss, Mm -hmm. um, that really resonated with me. And, and I know that's why most of my clients would choose me too. It's like, you lost your dad to suicide. I'm here because my loved one died by suicide. You get it. That's why we're here. Yeah. 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 It's funny you say that because I I've had people say that to me. Right. And, and, and even with my work with, um, kids and teens, like sometimes parents will show them my bio. And I have had a number of, of teens usually who will be like, well, I'll go to Justine because her dog died too. And it's shocking how that can pull in clients, but also already creates this space where the client understands that I've also gone through something like that. And so there's almost this pre-made safety in a strange way, but it's already there, right? People go, oh, okay, you get it. There's already trust and they haven't even met you and grieving people, people who've gone through trauma, especially the work that we do, trust is everything Mm. on their journey forward. So if we can establish that before we even met, it's like, that's a huge barrier in and of itself that they've overcome. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and talking about this and sharing stories, you know, I think of my work with children and, and I do a lot of play therapy. And one of my favorite things to do is I often find some kids will like straight out ask me, <laughs> like, did your grandma die too? And it's, it's hilarious because they're looking for that normalization. They're looking for that, you know, commonality. And sometimes I find, you know, it's between us and sometimes it's between like even characters you know, that I have in the playroom. So, you know, one of the things that I learned in my play therapy training was, you know, when you have puppets in the playroom, it can be really profound to have the puppet be its own person and character. Like it has a name, it has a story, it has all these pieces um, that might not align, you know, just like us, right. Might not align perfectly with the client and you don't create it for the client, but you create it for the purpose of normalizing and having another, you know, individual in there that has that story or, or similar experience. Wow. Um, and I know one of my favorite little puppets I have, it's, I, I'm sure there's a name for this type of monkey, but it's a fluffy monkey named Allie and Allie's mom died. 
and Allie will sometimes come out, especially with my younger clients. And a lot of my younger clients love Allie. Like I had, you know, a client one time come and be like, where's Allie? I want to talk to Allie. Right. And it's just this shared experience between them and another character that can even be a little bit more like developmentally their age, right. And in terms of how it even presents, or just maybe a little bit more inviting than me as the adult. Right. Um, and it's shocking how powerful that is for even the littlest of, of people. Right. Wow. That's so beautiful, Justine. And to, to such a reminder that we just want to know that we're not alone and that there's someone who really gets us and can relate to us. And I think that is what our grieving clients are looking for, whether they're three years old or 60 years old. Yeah. We just want to know that they're not alone. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any other tips, practical things that you do? Anything else? I know you shared a bunch, but anything else coming to mind of just what, what you might do with someone with, with grief for therapists? I, I would say everything that we've mentioned, like take some notes, write out some, some of those like kind of fundamental tools and just to go slow. Mm. Right. Mm. In one of our team consultations, Justine, I remember one of the therapists on our team said, sometimes going like to go fast, we have to go slow. And that was really, um, that really stuck out to me. And with our grieving people, we just got to go slow, let go of expectation, just sit with them, listen, yeah, Yeah. slow down, like hold space for silence. Grieving people take longer to respond because their brain, they're so preoccupied with their loss and often very distracted. Go slow. Hold, hold that space for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay. Now we've mentioned grief recovery quite a bit <laughs> in this podcast. We both love it, obviously, but you know, are there any other maybe like books or trainings or, or educational pieces therapists can dig into if they want to learn more about grief? Well, they can always read the blogs on our website. <laughs> They are really informative. Yes. yes. Like yes. It's, what I love about our blogs is we have all the different therapists pick kind of a topic that's really they're passionate about. And a lo- there is a lot on various losses and um, grief in general. The Grief Recovery Institute, which is griefrecoverymethod.com, mm-hmm. also has thousands of blogs on every topic of grief you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And so that is often a go-to for me when I'm curious about maybe it's a a natural disaster or an event in the world, I'll often go and search their blog to see if they have anything. Yeah. Um, the grief recovery handbook is great. Um, Megan Devine and her work, It's Okay to Not Be Okay, right. is another excellent book and resource that I would recommend as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, anything? What about you, Justine? What are some of your favorite go tos? Well, I think there's a lot of good books. Like I, I recently, and I'm just, you know, I don't know specific titles of books necessarily, but you know, what I've done in the past is gone on Amazon, you know, my favorite place place to shop (laughs) and uh, typed in, especially for kids. I'll type in like grief, um, working with grief with children. And there is like a plethora of amazing books that all sorts of authors have written. Um, you know, that, that I've even just purchased a bunch just to kind of pull into my repertoire and, Often what I'll do with those books is, um, you know, kind of flip through them. Sometimes they're more practical, like they might actually have like 
here's a specific technique you can use. Um, other times it's just conceptualizing grief in children, um, you know, or even in adults, right? Because um, I find almost with grief, there, there can be pieces that are helpful maybe with one client and maybe are irrelevant for somebody else. Um, so I like to have, yeah, you know, books are a great resource for that. The grief recovery method, you know, that training really um, equipped me with, with understanding grief. Um, and even with children, I know it's not a, a specific to children, but just being able to um, understand some of the myths, the misinformation and provide that even to parents to say, here's what's normalized. Here's what's okay. Um, you know, my favorite center down in the States is the Dougie center. They are like, I don't, I don't even know what to call them. They're like a gold mine of resources. Um, so they're my go-to for sending to parents, but even for myself, you know, I find a lot of usefulness, um, in their materials as well. Yes. I absolutely second that. And the one book that we do often recommend for caregivers of children is when children grieve Mm -hmm. written by the same authors of the grief recovery Institute, uh, the grief recovery handbook, sorry. Um, so that's definitely another just good resource just to have on hand with some really great tips and tools on how to support grieving children. Well, thank you, Ashley, for coming on a second time. And, uh, you know, I think this information is so valuable for any of our listeners and even for me to hear, you know, how do we sit with grieving people? How do we do this work? You know, and, and what are the really important things to remember um, about doing that? Yes. Thank you for this opportunity. And I'm just, I'm just so excited to think about how this conversation can impact even just one therapist journey sitting with grievers and then just the ripple effect that it has. And so thank you for, for this experience. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like I've told you last time, you know, we end on the same question every time. And that is what is the advice for the therapists of the world? So, so what would you say is your advice to finish this off? On the topic of grief, Mm. I would say to remind yourself that you can only meet others as deeply as you've met yourself mm-hmm. and to sit in quiet reflection mm-hmm. and think about what experiences you've had in the past that maybe there's some more healing work to be done mm-hmm. and just to be open to that and to be open to that invitation to do some more healing work and, uh, and then see how that transforms Mm. Uh, the quality of your work with clients yeah yeah oh thank you yeah okay well thank you again Ashley and uh thank you to our listeners who have come on for this this episode four um remember to follow us on IG at what the am I doing podcast and subscribe for future episodes 